You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. So last week uh, during open space, uh, we made a shrine to mourn the to mourn the white supremacist terrorist attacks in Christchurch, New Zealand, which took the lives of fifty worshippers at Al Nur Mosque and Lidwood Islamic Center. And from the reports that I read in the media, uh, when the attacker entered the first mosque, a member of the community immediately went to him and said, hello, brother. And then the attacker opened fire. So I was struck uh, when on Monday, I went to take the card that we had signed last week to Masjid Shuhada, the downtown Denver Islamic Center. It's just down the road. And And as I walked into their sacred space, I was greeted with those same words. Hello, brother. And that tragic irony wasn't lost on me that here I was, a a white male and a stranger, walking in unannounced into their place of worship, just like the attacker did just days before, and yet they welcomed me. They welcomed me with those same words of peace. In fact, I was, I was so humbled that I had to immediately sit down and collect myself. And, and as I sat down, I, I realized that the community was in the middle of prayer. And so I sat and listened to the, the deep drone of their chant. It reminded me of the way that we drone here underneath the psalms and the prayers and the gospel. And it reminded me that we share so much more with the Muslim community than that which divides us, uh, beginning with that sound of our common breath. I remember the first time I visited St. Gregory St. Gregory's Episcopal Church in San Francisco, which was the first place that I ever experienced this kind of droning that we do. Honestly, at first, it totally took me aback. I was like, what is this pagany, uh, Buddhisty noise that they're making? And in a Christian church, it made me a little uncomfortable because it seemed like so primitive and like the sounds I had always imagined emerging from ancient temples and the types of religion that I had been raised to believe were wrong. But thankfully, I did not stay uncomfortable for long because I realized that this sound doesn't belong to any particular religion because it belongs to all people The drone we make with our bodies is the most fundamentally human sound that we can make. In fact, when I was a kid, I had one of those Casio keyboards that were really popular in the 80s, and it had a button on it that said, human voice. (laughs) 
And when you pushed it, it made the sound of a drone. Fundamental human sound. It's the sound we make when we don't know what else to do. It's what we do when we're anxious and afraid, rocking back and forth, but have no words for how we feel. And at its core, the drone is the most universal form of prayer that exists. It's where we we gently surrender our individual sighs and our moans until they join together with other voices and make a song. It's transformation of suffering into beauty right before our eyes. And so as I sat in the masjid and listened to their beautiful droning prayer, I thought about how they too, just like us, were, were gathered in the hopes that they might make sense of, of their pain, that they might catch a glimpse of the oneness that we all yearn for, where we no longer feel trapped and isolated in ourselves, but united to the power that is greater than ourselves, that we call God, Allah, Elohim, Jehovah, and Lord. But I also thought about how difficult that oneness is. Because so often when bad things happen to people who are different from us, we instead blame them rather than stand in solidarity. We look for what they might have done to deserve their suffering. We turn victims into scapegoats and scapegoats for our own anxieties about why bad things happen. Because if we can blame the victim, then we can maybe for a moment think that we somehow prevent, we can somehow prevent bad things from happening to us. If we can just make ourselves believe that we are good and that they are bad, then we can live without fear. So we can live without actually needing God. Because we're in control. We've got it all figured out. I mean, I do it all the time. When I see something awful happen to those who sit across the aisle politically for me, or just to people I don't like, I think, yeah, they they got what they had coming. But thank God I have Jesus to pull me back from my judgments, which is the Jesus we hear in today's gospel. And though it was beautifully chanted, it's a pretty gruesome gospel. So if you were kind of caught up listening to the chant and missed what it actually said, uh, I'll reread the first part. Jesus says, at that very time there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. 
I mean, on the surface, it's a pretty scary gospel where it kind of sounds like Jesus is threatening to drop a house on us. But in reality, I hear Jesus saying exactly the opposite. He's saying that when bad things happen, it's not a punishment from God because of some sin you committed. He's saying that bad things just happen. Period. We don't know exactly why, and we don't know exactly what tragedy Jesus is referring to. It's not recorded in the history books fully, but clearly two terrible things happened to two different groups of people who were then blamed for their tragedies. Um, Galileans were considered the, they were considered the backwater folks. They were folks kind of like me from Tennessee. And apparently a group of these backwater folks uh, were slaughtered, and their bodies were offered up as sacrifices to the Roman gods. In the second instance, a, a tower had collapsed on a group of people, most likely those bathing at what was called the Pool of Siloam, which was at the base of the tower. And we hear about that pool in the Gospel of John, where we learned that it was, a, it was a kind of medicinal hot spring, a lot like, you know, Mount Princeton here in Colorado, where people with various disabilities and uh, diseases would go hoping for a cure. So in both of those cases, what's clear is that folks were blaming the hillbillies and the sick for their own misfortune which actually doesn't sound that different from the current political climate. You know, it's, it's the fault of the flyover country. It's the fault of everyone on Medicare. It's the fault of the undocumented, the gays, the trans folks, Black Lives Matter. It's the fault of the Republicans. This is, this is what we hear today. Or perhaps it's stuff we say or think ourselves. It's their fault. But then in steps Jesus who says, no, that is not the way my Father in heaven works. God does not send calamity upon people because of anything they did. There is no link between morality and suffering. James Allison, a Catholic theologian, he put it this way, we can imagine the excitement of those telling Jesus, wanting a pronouncement that this was their punishment from God. But they are disappointed. Jesus, he completely desacralizes the event, removing any link between God and what has happened, any link between morality and what has happened. And if we are caught up in thinking like that, then we too are likely to act in ways moved by the apocalyptic other, the God of blood and sacrifice and murder, of morality linked to worldly outcome, and we will perish like them. So what does Jesus mean when he says, unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did? I don't think he's actually contradicting what he just said earlier and indeed threatening to drop a house on us. He's saying that if we continue to live in a world in which we make others scapegoats, then one day we will become the scapegoat too. That if we blame others for their suffering, then we will get blamed for our suffering too. 
and being blamed for the tragedies in our lives, that's the worst kind of isolation. It's the deepest degree of pain that exists. And I, I know that pain. And I know that so many of you know that pain as well. I know what it's like to suffer and then to hear someone say that that never would have happened if I weren't gay. Or that it's because I use drugs and alcohol or it's because I eat the wrong things or don't think positively enough or because maybe I should have majored in accounting instead of religion. (laughs) But that's the worst kind of pain because it dehumanizes what is in fact the thing that all humans share, which is that bad things happen to all of us. And it turns victims into monsters and walls off our pain. It walls off our pain from the grace of God, which is the only thing that can actually make sense of our tragedy in the first place. Because here's the thing about grace. God does not pour out grace upon us so that we get to go and feel better about ourselves. God lavishes grace upon us so that we can go and lavish grace upon others. God sets us free in order to set the world free. God comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort others in theirs. And it's that freedom to know that our suffering is not a punishment It's that same freedom which frees Jesus to turn to the thief on the cross and say, this day you will be with me in paradise. Because Jesus knew that the crucifixion of the thief was not a punishment from God. Nor was his own crucifixion, nor any tragedy that befalls any of us. And so with his dying breath, he speaks a word of grace. He speaks a word of assurance that that, the shit that happens to all of us is not a punishment. And so we are free. We're free to gather here around Christ's body and blood. We're free to confess what our lives are really like, to not hide, to confess the good and the bad. And we don't have to fear that what we might say in confession or what we might write in a prayer will reveal some sin that is to blame. Because the words Jesus spoke to the thief, I have to believe that those words are the same words that he spoke to each of the 50 victims from Christ Church and that he will one day speak to each of us and to every person. Beloved, this day you will be with me in paradise. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon podcast for House for All Sinners and Saints. If you like what you've been hearing and would like to support the ongoing ministry of our church, just go to our website, www.houseforall.org, and click on Give.